Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris and I'm here with Mr. Philip Dampier. And today we're going to be talking about and discussing 2 Samuel chapter 19 verses 1 through 14. For us to begin our discussion, uh, I'm going to read our text. It was told Joab, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants, who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines, because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now therefore arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate. And the people were all told, behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And all the people came before the king. Now Israel had fled every man to his own home. And all the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the, out of the land of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? And King David sent this message to Zadok and Abathar the priests. Say to the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house when the word of all Israel has come to the king? You are my brothers. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king and say to Amasa, are you not bone? Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of my army from now on in place of Joab. And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, return, both you and all your servants. So we are right after the big fight. What we're reading here is right after the the big fight, the big battle between David and Absalom. And it was predicted by Absalom's commanders that uh, if, if he followed this specific tactic, that David's armies would be crushed, that David would die in isolation. But the reverse has happened. Absalom's army is the one that has been destroyed. Absalom is the one who has died in isolation. So here we are in chapter 19, and we kind of have this odd situation with David and Joab. Um, Mr. Philip, is there anything in, in, in the beginning of chapter 19 that, that sticks out to you? Well, yeah, I mean, this, this, this whole passage has a lot of interesting uh, information in it. And I, I think we're still suffering the consequences of uh, Uriah and Bathsheba. And 
the promise made to David that the sword's not going to leave his, uh, not going to leave his house. And uh, we have da we have David uh, rescued by his faithful army, and uh, he's uh, he he acts like it's a, a loss rather than a mm -hmm. than a victory. And there's so many interesting uh, things in here. The the army comes back ready to celebrate. And they find the king crying because they won. And they're feeling guilty because they, they killed the king's son, even though they were protecting the king. And so instead of there being a victory, they come in like they're cowards, like they're ashamed of what, of what they've done. And so the morale is completely destroyed. And all David can do is, is bemoan the fact that his actions have brought about the, another death. And this is now the third son that he's lost. And uh, he's lost his, the son, he's lost the kingdom and he doesn't care. Things are just, from the time of Bathsheba and Uriah, you and I were talking about this, the, this been downhill Yeah, for David. He, he can't seem to get things, get things right. He can't make the right kind of decisions. He, he messed around with, uh, with Tamar and he messed around with, with Absalom and he just, he can't get anything right because I think he is suffering from the consequences of his action and he, the guilt, he can't get rid of the guilt. Mm -hmm. And I believe if you look at the Psalms, you will find several places where he's, his sin is ever before him and he just he can't get, he can't get over it. And it, and so it, it takes Joab coming in here and saying to him, look, you, what you're doing is wrong, and uh, and and it's pretty obvious to all the people now that you don't care anything about them. Yeah, you 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 would be happy if we had all died and absolutely lived, and and David really can't argue the point, but he tells him you're going to go, you're going to get out there. So David can't even make a good decision. Jeff says you're going to get out there and and tell the people thank you. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> And and, and, Dave, and David does. It's like he can't. He can't. I mentioned, I think, to you earlier. He he's instead of being the king who makes the decisions, he now has to have somebody coming and saying to him, "You're the man. You're the man. You're the man." Uh, he, he 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 can't generate anything. Yeah, much I think the, on his own. Yeah, I think the the term he uses, he's he's constantly having to be confronted, and that's true. And it's it's he he doesn't act like a king anymore. Ever since that, ever since that happened in, in chapter eleven, and it's just, uh, it's it's just awful downward spiral. It's like as soon as he lets sin in the door, it's pulling him further and further down. He he can't just wake up. And, I, and that's good to point out the Psalms because we often go to those as kind of like this reassurance and oh this you know this kind of gives me some hope in, in dire circumstances. But this is all coming out of David's heart, and it's. You know, I don't think it's one of those instances where he writes Psalm 51 and now he feels better about it all and he can go out and be king again. I think it's, you're right, like he's still just, uh, he's just struggling uh, mentally, spiritually. And because of that, it, he's supposed to be the king and he's not acting as king. Yeah, and, and uh, we don't know all the story here, but maybe there's even more people saying to him, hey, you need to get, you need to get back to Jerusalem. <laughs> sure. The, the country's got to have a leader, David. Yeah. Get out of the, 
there's a, you know, it's, think about this. The contrast between when the baby dies and the baby dies and David gets up and washes and eats and says, hey, life goes on. And now with Absalom, it's like life's not going on. Mm-hmm. He can't get up and eat. He can't get up and wash his face. He's still in mourning. I, I mean, it's that, it's that's just, a really good. Yeah, maybe we can. You know, there's probably a lot of contrast to draw out there with, with, with the with the young baby. You know, he's in mourning. He's fasting while the baby is sick. But when Absalom is sick, as in revolting, David flees. And then when Absalom finally dies, he's there to. Uh, you know, mourn over the fact, but yet with the baby, like you're saying, he's able to kind of wipe his face and get up and, and go about and, and be king. Uh, yeah, those are really two two big contrasts in the way that he handles this. Well, you just think about that's the change that's come over David. Yeah. This great faith that he shows with the baby. I can't, he can't come to me, but I, I can go to him. Mm-hmm. But now with Absalom, it's like everything is lost. Yeah. All is lost. This is the end, that nothing worse can happen to me. I don't care about the army, don't care about the kingdom, don't care about my wives, don't care about my daughters and sons. You know, mm-hmm. and he doesn't even care about Joab who has rescued his, rescued him so many times and and has been faithful to him. You know, Joab tells to him, You're a, if you don't straighten this out, it'll be worse than all the bad things that have happened to you. He, yeah. From your youth, Joab Joab is his nephew, and Joab knows everything that's been going on. So he knows what all David has done, and he's saying to him, "You're you're about to make the worst mistake, and you've already made a ton of them." Uh, and and I think that's really significant. And then to show his appreciation, David demotes Joab (laughs) and appoints Joab's cousin, who is also David's nephew, to take his place. Why doesn't he know that that's just not going to end well? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, of course, because Joab goes out and kills Amasa. So uh, more blood, more blood. Yeah. And and maybe there's the slight difference when looking at Saul and David, even so this is David's dark period, even like his, his, his dark period, he'll, he gets confronted, he's given advice. And most of the time, not every time, most of the time he'll fall through with the advice like he does here with Joab. That's something Saul would never do. You know, Saul, Saul, people would say, Hey, Saul, you need to do it. And Saul just still wouldn't do it. Saul would do his own thing like every time. So there's maybe, there's still that little bit of credit we can give David that, even in moments of, hey, you're messing up everything, some wisdom is spoken in, and he and he go, you know, he obeys it because he he listens to Joab. And in, in verse eight here, he goes and takes his seat uh, at the gate, which is kind of showing, hey, I I am king. I'm taking my position here. Have the people come to me, sort of thing. Um, so there is a bit of that, right? Do you think we can at least give David that? Yeah, and I, I also think there's a good point here that that David has a lot of trouble forgiving himself, evidently. And it isn't until after the Psalm 51 that we that we see maybe he 
maybe he finally accepts God's forgiveness. Uh, for us today to realize that the second David has made it possible for us to be forgiven and our sins not be held against us. We don't need to live in this guilt trip that David is on. Mm -hmm. Because it's obvious from looking at what's happening to David that the guilt trip doesn't do you any good. It just gets you, it's a cycle that goes down, down, down. Mm -hmm. And uh, none of us can look in the mirror and say, I've not sinned, but we can all look in the mirror and say, I have sinned, but I'm, the guilt has been taken away by Christ. And I, I don't have to sit here and, and, and wallow in the guilt because I have grace. Yeah, and, and David was, had a hard time finding that grace, even though it was there, but he had a hard time finding it. That's a really good point, and that's probably one of the stronger points to take away is is our need to let go of guilt, especially in light of and if you've accepted what Jesus has done on the cross. Um, uh, hey, one maybe, thing, David, I, maybe we would also be smart to learn. There is a difference between the guilt and the consequence. Sure. Uh, yeah. we, we are forgiven of the sin, but it doesn't mean we're, there's not going to be a consequence. Mm -hmm. And David gets so wrapped up in the consequences that he's still feeling the guilt. Yeah. Uh, uh, David's sin was forgiven. It was. Mm -hmm. But the consequences happened. And if we point. sin, the consequences are still going to be there, but we don't need to take that as guilt because the sin is forgiven. Let's get rid of the consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we should have ended on that point because that was a really good point. <laughs> now, I feel, now I feel weird about bringing this one up, but but it is something that stuck out to me, and, and you kind of added some depth to it as well when you had me consider what's happening at the first part of the chapter too because as David takes on the, the position of king, he then goes out trying to get people to accept him as king in a sense. And then, and he wants Judah come out to come out and, and kind of uh, be one of those, the first people to do so. And, and that clearly makes a lot of people mad because Judah is the one who he has already kind of showed favor to favoritism in the past. He has already made kind of this declaration that he is, you know, from Judah, their bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. This is a, a, a saying that David has used before. And so to have the rest of Israel hear this again, it, it clearly does not sit well on other people's ears, and especially their hearts. And so it kind of goes back to what he does there in calling out Judah first. And then what you had mentioned to me at the beginning of chapter 19 is the fact of him, you know, mourning after a battle that his men have just won for him. The importance of people in leadership positions, um, uh, what their actions often symbolize. Um, reality is not always perception. Perception is not always reality. And I think, you know, as leaders, we may have these really good intentions, but if they're not one communicated well, or we're, we're doing something that maybe someone wasn't in on the communication and, and they see us participate in these things, what does that look like to other people? What example are we setting? How are we leading people, um, you know, further from or closer closer to Christ. So it's uh, people notice what you do and Christians need to be be aware of what they do and when they do it. And I think those are all uh, important things to, to think about because this is clearly something that doesn't 
set David up for success in the future. Uh, hmm. the, the, the morning after a successful battle and here um, approaching Judah first. Yeah, well, um, David can't get out of his own way. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we're going to be leaders in the church, our leaders in the community, we have to be willing to get out of our own way. What you're saying is, is so very true. The decisions we make, uh, if we're making decisions for the good of the people, then we may have to forego the, our good. Right. And that, I think what you're saying is David was struggling with that. Mm -hmm. it, was, it, was, it was still wrapped up in David. He wasn't thinking about, I've got 13 tribes here. I've got to, you know, uh, 11 tribes and two half tribes. I, I don't, I've, I've got all these people to take care of, not just me and Judah. Right. He missed that. Well, you, again, you had a much better, better point with, with these, so I feel we're bringing that up. But I think that's uh, what me and Philip talked about before getting on here. Those were kind of our gleanings from the text, and hopefully this has been beneficial for you. I appreciate you tuning in, and hopefully you will continue to do so. I uh, hope you have a good day, Mr. Philip. Yes. Take Let me care. Try. At least we can be dry. And be dry. Yeah, that's right. Uh, again, thank you uh, all for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.